All right. So on tonight's podcast, I'm really excited. I get to uh, hang out with a friend that I haven't seen for quite a while. Uh, his name is John Jordan. Now, John Jordan was part of the uh, Montreal's famous uh, Mima Morgenthaler Collective. Uh, he's moved on to work on all kinds of projects out in NDG with his uh, group Osmosis. And uh, yeah, we're going to sit down and see what's what, you know, kind of what happened back in the day and what ha what's happening now. All right, let's get down to it. And don't forget, hit that subscribe button and that stupid bell thing everybody keeps talking about that I've never seen. And uh, don't forget that uh, K-Man Don't Know Shit is brought to you by The Imprint. Theimprint.com is their website. It's great for if you're in a band or have a business or a baseball team or whatever it is. You want to make some t-shirts, hoodies, caps, toques, patches and pins and all that jazz, you know. I'm, I'm really big into making flags these days. Actually, I don't even know if they make flags. Call them up. Go to theimprint.com and uh, their phone number's on there. Call them up. Tell them that K-Man sent you and see what kind of deal you get out of that. And um, yeah, it's uh, just a great partnership uh, and good people, so uh, get on it. All right, here we go. Let's do this. Boom! K-Man, no, no shit! Good to see you, man. Good, Chris. Nice to see you, man. Absolutely. It's Great been a while, you. eh? Yeah. Well, it seems like seems like a while, yet it seems like we run into each other all the time. <laughs> right? Yeah. Out and about, man. Yeah. Out and about. You know, it's funny. Um, with the, you know, living in the social media day and now, you know, back in the day, we used to always, like, cross on the main or on the plateau and stuff. But I'm really up to date, anyway, at everything you're doing because you're really good at posting what you're doing. I have no life, so I just <laughs> barf it all up on Facebook. For some of you that's saying he doesn't have a life, you're up to all kinds of shit, man. You're busy. I'm kind of busy, yeah. I'm mostly, like, uh, just doing music pretty much these days still, you mm -hmm. know. Um, it doesn't quite pay the bills, but uh, but it keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. half the battle right yeah, there, right? Yeah, exactly. You just brought me, John brought me a present, because I love getting presents. Presents are the best. Look at that present. Woo! New album. When was this I put out? Uh, that's uh, Music for Cool Cats. It's the second Osmosis Unlimited album. Mm -hmm. And it came out, uh, I think, May 13th uh, last year. Cool, yeah. cool. So we worked on that for about five years. Yeah. And uh, it's got a ton of Montreal musicians on it. Uh, that's it. I'm looking at the list. Like uh, You have Callie that was just on here yesterday. Yeah, Callie's been doing this with me since 2003. We started wow. working together on this project. Yeah. Oh, you got Lisa Mackey on it, Melo G, Paul Cagnello. He's he's coming uh, next week. Oh, Paul, cool. Paul awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, man, all kinds of people. Tim Dubb was on there, Patrick Taylor. You got the whole crew and the entire crew of the Kingpins as well. Yeah, I got all the Kingpins on there too. Yeah, yeah. shit. Yeah, so it's a cast, songs. cast of dozens. Yeah, man. Yeah. You got all the gangsters in there. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's one of the cool things that, I, like if I think about you, one thing that I often think about is uh, you seem to always be somebody that brings people together. You know, you start a project, next thing you know, everybody's hopping on and hanging out and doing this thing. Well, I, that that goes back to the Me, Mama, Morgenthaler days, you know, because I just always found that, like, it's to, to put it really simply, it's the a more the merrier thing, you know, because the more people you can get involved in a project, the more ideas you have flying around that you can pick and choose from. Uh, you know, the more opinions you have on what you're doing, which can be a blessing and a curse, you right, know, right. like you've been in large bands too. You know what it's like to like <laughs> a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. A lot of cooks <laughs> in the kitchen. Exactly. But, uh, but also you also have the benefit of, 
a much larger social network mm -hmm. because it's the it's like the, those old shampoo commercials. You know, I brought two friends, and they brought two friends, and they brought two friends, and so on. And so on. Shampoo so companies on. don't have too much to worry about with <laughs> yeah. us, man. <laughs> Good point. But, but yeah, uh, I, I just the more you know, the more people you can get involved with something, the more worlds you open up to. You know, mm -hmm, and absolutely. that's that's why a lot of the ska bands in the early days were. Uh, were so successful is because they just they were kind of by default more diverse. They brought together people from many different backgrounds, uh, and it and it it opened up a wider market for the music. You know, Absolutely. because and like me, Mama Morgenthaler shows we had people from every age. We had men and women. We had every color of the rainbow represented. You know, there mm -hmm. was like. A super inclusive scene, you know. Was it like, like a you know, you get your main members in the band, but then there's also all the other people around, right? Oh yeah, you know, like you have your crew, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you have we had we had our friends who helped us make costumes, and friends who helped make props and stuff like that. Yeah, we used to work closely with a improv theater group called Caught in the Act. Oh really? And they would sometimes do improv shows before we went on, and then we would have our show, and they would play characters in the show, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So it was a, it was a really far-reaching. It was like Hydra in the Marvel universe, you know, <laughs> right. tentacles everywhere. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, you you brought up two great topics right there. One is Marvel universe. <laughs> Two is me, Mum, and Morgenthaler. Yeah. Uh, you, you were, you, are you one of the original founding members of that band? Like, no, I like wasn't. What, what's your story or relationship with me, Mum? I, uh, when I was like 17, I was going to uh, one of those uh, uh, new music festival shows that Duncan McTavish was putting on mm -hmm. in the late 80s. Um, and it was at uh, the Shatner Ballroom, which back then was just called uh, McTavish Hall or something like okay. that. Um, or the McGill Union Ballroom. It was called the McGill Union Ballroom. And I was going to the show. When you say Shatner, you're talking William Shatner. William Shatner, yeah. He yeah. has a building. So if you suck, he locks phasers on your nuts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they eventually named that building after Shatner unofficially. People mm -hmm. still call it the Shatner Building. But I was followed to the show by Gus from Me Mama Morgenthaler yeah. and his friend Renzo, who was the original sax player. Okay. And they saw me and how I was dressed, and they didn't know how to get to the show, so they just said, let's follow that guy. Right, right. So they followed me, and they introduced themselves to me and thanked me for leading them to the show, and that's how I got to know them. And then later at Marianopolis, they were all at Marianopolis, they put on a talent show, and Gus and Renzo and their friends at Marianopolis decided to put together a ska band for the talent show, okay. and they wanted to pick a name that would offend the nuns who ran Marianopolis. <laughs> So uh, there's many stories. I think Gus came up with it in a dream or something. Mm -hmm. But they call themselves Me, Mama, Morgenthaler. And to their chagrin, the nuns thought it was hysterical and <laughs> thought it was totally hilarious. Isn't that the worst when you want to piss somebody off and they end up loving it? <laughs> nuns are generally a lot cooler than we give them credit for. Yeah. My mom also taught at a school with nuns. Uh -huh. And we, uh, we mentioned some, one of the nuns from my mom's school in a song called My Mother's Friends. <laughs> and we made T-shirts and we had a drawing of Satan standing behind Sister Rose Dorothy, my mother's friend, on the T-shirt. Oh, wow. And all the nuns wanted the T-shirt. They were like, <laughs> we sure. got to have the T-shirt. Yeah. yeah, man, I love these liberal nuns. <laughs> <laughs> They're awesome. Um, so you're 17. You, you meet Gus and, yeah. and Renzo. Yeah. And then what happened? So they put the band together, and uh, they asked me, because I knew I played saxophone, mm -hmm. 
to come and help uh, Renzo and Mark, the two sax players. Okay. So like, because they were just getting started, so yeah. I was kind of like brought in to coach them a little bit. So I would teach them the harmonies and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but I didn't play the shows. They would play them, and then after a year, both of them got summer jobs and out of town, so they right, left. Right. So they came to me and asked me to sit in, and then uh, without even asking permission, I invited uh, Baltimore Bix, mm -hmm. our trumpet player, to come join the band. Right, and I, right. I got in a little bit of trouble for that. <laughs> Um, but it all worked out for the best. You know, oh, yeah, so. man, absolutely. Yeah, and and then by by that point, like I guess the crew was kind of solidifying. Yeah, yeah. But you guys had a hell of a run. Yeah, we were around for like uh, seven years, yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, you hit hard, and man. We were like the best band in the mirror, like yeah. at least four or five years in a row. Mm -hmm. And uh, but still, never really like, never really made it big, you yeah. know. Like there was maybe a couple of months where I. Didn't have to work and lived off the band, but otherwise, like I'm going to interrupt you. So you're saying he never got big enough, and they do a reunion show, which turned out to be five sold out shows back to back in a row in Montreal as a reunion. Yeah, you guys made it big, and yeah. locally, you know, you guys are legends. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. and like we totally exceeded our goals. Mm -hmm. We wanted to be as big as Sons of the Desert. That was our <laughs> thing. I, do I don't know, know who they are. You don't know Sons of the no, Desert, man. In the 80s, like late 80s, Sons of the Desert were like the cool band. In, in Montreal. Like, in Montreal, okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know Jimmy Spencer? Yes. Jimmy was the drummer. Oh, okay. And that's how I met Jimmy was because he was in Sons of the Desert, and he was dating the singer from my very first band, The Vegetables, which <laughs> was it. with Klaus Frostel. Klaus. Klaus. Yeah, didn't he go into sound recording? Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, he works for wow. Jam Industries. Man, I don't yeah. know where that information was logged away, but it's Hey, man, do no there, shit. Right? <laughs> it's spotty, but it's jumping around. <laughs> man, okay. you guys went on at that point to do these historic shows and the Loft Scene Party. It was that era, right? Yeah, well, in about uh, 90 or 91... Uh, me and Gus uh, split a loft with the band that the band would use to rehearse in. Mm -hmm. And it was like at ground zero for Party Town. It was on uh, Saint Laurent just above Prince Arthur. Yeah. Um, where the uh, there's a hair salon there now that took... They were just on the ground floor when we lived there. But Is they that took the Ungavid building? No, it's the... Um, no, that's Pine. And it's... Uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank. It's like Aveda or something salon okay. or whatever. Right, so um, you guys had the loft there. So we had a loft there, and and so to pay the rent every like two months, we would throw a big party, mm -hmm. and we would get uh, Saint Ambroise would give us like super deals on cases of beer, and we'd buy like forty cases of beer and lug them up four flights of stairs and <laughs> throw an all night rager and uh, pay our rent, rent for the next yeah. couple of months. Yeah. See, those types of scenes are what is beautiful about my vision of what the plateau was. Back in the day, yeah, I don't know everyone was doing on, that. But, I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. Scenes and stuff. We're too old. Well, I think there's a lot of DJs. We don't get invited anymore. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and I got all dressed up and everything. <laughs> Shit. But yeah, like uh, I find like the community aspect of it. You know, having your crew, having the community also support you at these parties, and you know. Also, they just want to hang out where the cool shit's happening, and that was some cool shit happening, you know? Yeah. But it's so cool because, like, what I was saying about you at the start is that you've since moved to NDG, and you're always pulling people together. I know you do the porch fest, or you did, and, you know, you're throwing all these things around, and everybody's always hopping on your ship, man. I love it. 
Yeah, it's uh, I credit my mother. Yeah, like I learned that from my mother. My mother, she was a single mom. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad died when I was very young. I was four years old when my dad died, and my mom and my mom and I were living in Vancouver at the time. We had just moved there because um, my dad got transferred out there, and all of a sudden, her whole world fell apart. And so she packed me up and moved moved us back to Montreal, which was where all her friends were. Right, right. And her That's friends where her were like was. exactly. Yeah. And her friends, you know, she would always throw these parties and invite all her friends. And she was the she was the spider in the middle of the web of mm -hmm. this like huge network of really diverse and interesting people. And she was the common thing that like bound yeah. them all together, you know. So you definitely I, got it from her then. I totally picked it up from my yeah, mom. Man. Yeah. So me mom, so you were doing these loft parties to uh, to pay the rent and stuff. Then you went on to make records. And do like I remember uh, seeing you on like Music Plus and stuff like that because I think it was also like you know a great time to be coming up because you had things like Music Plus that were happening at that time you know yeah they were in their heyday too at yeah, that time exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah and I remember even seeing you guys on there and stuff you know it's it's sad that that doesn't exist anymore th those types of things or or like the Mirror Hour as well for that matter oh yeah a lot of the things that were critical to us back exactly. then culturally are mm. just gone now yeah and they're replaced by the internet yeah and reality know? TV yeah. <laughs> well I mean TV's basically gone anyway right <laughs> yeah i haven't had tv in a long time no, man. yeah yeah no I'm, we do have a tv and stuff but everything's coming off netflix and stuff like that now yeah know? yeah for sure i don't see uh you would have to put a gun to my head to make me watch something with commercials on it <laughs> I, like, I was at work the other day and i was watching tv with the kids i can't remember what it was that they wanted to watch but a commercial came on the volume difference nowadays between the show and the commercial is incredible. Still? Really? Man, and worse than ever. Like, you're watching something, you're all chill, then a commercial comes in, and it's like, ah! <laughs> and you're like, what the Because I know they were actually, like, making TVs that automatically, like, reduce the volume of commercials because well, so many people complained why. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah because it, it, it's intense. It man. was actually a selling feature on some televisions a while back. Yeah, really? It was, yeah? like, auto... <laughs> Buy that for Auto <laughs> commercial mute or whatever, yeah. <laughs> So, no. yeah... I, I want to trace this story all the way to the end of it. You guys then went on to make records. Yeah. Yeah. How many records did you guys make? We only we did an EP, mm -hmm. and then we did our full length studio album that we did at Morin Heights. Mm -hmm. That was Shiva Space Machine. Right. And then um, would you say that's the the album that really? Got that's you? the only studio album we ever really did. Oh, really? Full yeah. studio album. Yeah. Okay. Because then we put out uh, We Are Revolting, mm -hmm. which was like outtakes and live tracks. Okay. Yeah. But there weren't. There was maybe one new studio recording on that record. Everything else was live. Or uh, mm -hmm. I think it was all live, yeah. So, um, so really, Shiva Space Machine is the only example of yeah. us like being That's creative crazy. in See, the studio. I, I always thought that there was more albums than that because you guys hit so hard. It, you know what I mean? Like that one album, just like kaboom. It was so prohibitively expensive to record back then. <laughs> right? It was yeah, like yeah. really expensive. Yeah, and it's crazy now what you can do just in your own living room. Absolutely. You know? Look at Billie Eilish. You know yeah. she won the Grammy, and that album was produced in a bedroom. Dude, the technology is small; it can be anywhere, and it it kind of put everybody on even ground. Yeah, you can do extra and spend more money and get more, but if you know what you're doing, the tool is there. I kind of feel like before, like the world of recorded music that was available to us compared to now mm -hmm. was like a little puddle, you know? Right. That's all that was available. Mm -hmm. So you throw a stone in, it really upsets the whole puddle. Absolutely. Now, 
it's an ocean, <laughs> the amount of stuff that's out there. Mm -hmm. There's an ocean of it, and it's accessible to everyone. Yeah. So you throw a stone in that, it doesn't make a difference at all. You know? <laughs> so uh, I, I like to, I kind of think of this music-making thing as like people who play the lottery, you know, mm -hmm. that I usually look down on for being foolish. Yeah. But that's exactly what I'm doing, man. Absolutely. I'm just writing songs and writing songs and recording and recording, and every one of those songs is my little lotto ticket. Yeah, your little ticket. And I just need one of them to pay off. Yeah, and just, it's got to hit somewhere, it. right? Yeah. yeah. No, I totally get it. I, I believe quite a few people feel that way. You know, it's funny we're talking about, like, recording and now everybody can do it. Recording's gotten so good that I think some people even long for bad recordings these days as well, which has really opened up the field to like, I tech, I, I totally believe that if you grabbed a, a ghetto blaster, hit record with a cassette in, then put it into a computer through with just an aux out right in and record it and released it, people would say that's amazing too. You know, oh yeah. When it comes down to it, recordings, you're capturing a moment well, look or at, producing uh, something, you know? Look at uh, Chris Murray's first solo record, The right, Four right. Track Adventures. What was it called again? Four Track Adventures yeah, yeah. of Venice Shoreline Chris. That's it. Yeah, yeah. We listened to that in the van. Yeah. I can't stop listening to that. It's so real. It's so real. Hey, he wants real. to do the ska, okay? <laughs> I love it. Chris Murray, man. Check him out. Chris. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. that's a great record. Yeah. So then, Me Mum did some huge shows for years after that album. Yeah, we played some really big concerts. We did uh, the 350th anniversary of Montreal. I brought my little cousin to see me, Mum, at La Ronde. Oh, yeah, La he Ronde. He was too young we to did drive La Ronde and stuff too, like yeah. that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we did, and Men Without Hats were on the following week, oh, if, really, I, yeah? if I remember correctly. That's Ivan's yeah. band. Ivan, yeah. yeah. Ivan Dorshark, yeah. yeah. Man, I, I'd like to get him on here. That'd be interesting. I'm always game for anything, man. I ain't afraid of no ghost. <laughs> start a letter writing campaign. <laughs> That's it. Absolutely. And then, yeah, so you guys went on, did all these incredibly huge shows, and then just called it a day? Or? Well, the straw that broke the camel's back was when our uh, accordion player, Noah Green, mm -hmm. who was our second accordion player, we actually, our original accordion player was Kasia Herring. Just the fact that you found one is impressive. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard enough finding one. The fact that we found two is a miracle. So when Noah said he was going to go move to New York permanently and join a band called Two Skinny Jays as a lead singer, mm -hmm. uh, Gus in particular, just said, that's it. I'm not looking for another accordion player, and we can't do this without an accordion player, so let's just quit while we're ahead. And we all kind of agreed that, yeah. you know, we're pretty much at the peak of our career. Mm -hmm. It's probably all downhill from here anyways. <laughs> and it proved to be a good move, because then we just like... Absolutely. That was in 1995. Mm -hmm. In 1999, the Jazz Fest contacted me and said, we'd like to back a truckload of money up to your house to... Yeah, if you guys would again. put it together again, and we did, uh, we did. See, truckloads of money is like the Viagra for bands. Yeah, <laughs> and all it takes is nostalgia, right? That's all you yeah, need, man. you know. So quit while you're ahead, lay back a while, let the nostalgia build up, then come back for the big payday. Yeah, man, absolutely. You know? But it, it, it's it's really cool that you guys didn't wait too long either. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like the gap was just probably perfect, you know, because he still had so many people that were like, I work with this dude called Dave. Okay, hey Dave, he is the biggest Me Mum fan. He's always asking about. He's and he's always telling me when are you gonna cover a Me Mum song. He's like, I'm like, dude, they, they did their thing. I'm gonna do my thing, you know. But always he keeps coming back with it, and uh, yeah, it, just I think the timing was probably right because it also set up thing where you guys could do that every once in a while, right? That reminds me, I have to talk to you about something. Oh, I don't know. If we're you, here. We're here right now, man. <laughs> 
I'm trying to put together a Me Mom tribute night with other musicians playing Me Mama Morgenthaler songs. Right. And I'm trying to pitch it to Val for Scoffest uh, yeah. this year. Yeah. To have an homage to Me Mama Morgenthaler. So, so far I have iffy commitments from Danny Rebel and the Planet Smashers, <laughs> but if you guys could get on there too. Hey, I'll give you really an iffy cool. commitment if they do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there you go. Cheers no, to you. What I'm saying is that basically <laughs> when I say that, it's a five time. I'm, I'm always in for an adventure. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, and I'm pretty sure you guys will be on Scoffest again this year anyways in some way, shape, or form. my fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, but like at one point in my life, I think I just decided that this is the way I'm going to live my life. You know I mean? It wasn't so much of like, I'm in a band anymore. It's just like, this is my life and it continues. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But You're doing Pooza this year, right? Again? Yeah, yeah. baby. Yeah. Agrilites. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, it proves the lineup this year, right? Yeah, it's crazy. crazy. I, I'm going to let the one cat out of the bag. Normally, we play on the out, uh, outdoor stage, but we did it like year after year after year, and it was always amazing. All kinds of people came, and thank you, people. I mean, without what you, you know, what you're doing, we can't do what we're doing. But uh, this year, we're going to be playing in an old strip club. And oh, I'm really? I'm really excited about it. Nice. Actually, that's a rumor I heard. That's not, I, don't quote me on that. Actually, don't quote me on anything, <laughs> but uh, but I, I think that's what's happening. Oh, that's man. cool. Oh, yeah, man. I'm all for it, man. There's going to be some good I don't usually there. get to go because it's always on the same weekend as Porch Fest. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You, you got to make sure so, that, yeah, you got to get dates down that it's not on the same weekend. I did. Well, I can go at night because Porch Fest ends at five. So right, that's right. no problem. So I caught the Slackers a couple of years ago mm -hmm. at Pooza. That was the last time I went down there. Yeah. 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 Porch Fest. What's that all about? Oh, uh, Porch Fest is great. It's this NDG festival. It's on Victoria Day weekend in May. And it's just people uh, from all over open up their porches and front yards and invite musicians to play free concerts all over the neighborhood. Oh, wow. And they do like about 100 concerts in two days, 100 performances in two days. How did you get involved with it? Uh, I just uh, found out about it. I didn't even know it was happening the first year. I jumped on board the second year. Mm -hmm. And uh, hosted it at uh, Alley Cat Gallery. I yeah. have a little art gallery uh, in front of my house, which is bringing the like, community uh, of NDG together. It's kind of a little alleyway off Sherbrooke Street, and so we hosted bands there for the last uh, five years. We do wow. Porch Fest, which is the Victoria Day weekend, and then mm -hmm. we do uh, the third weekend in August is NDG Arts Week. So we okay. we do a concert for that too. Yeah. yeah. Cool. That's really cool, man. I, I've seen videos and stuff from it, but I'm I'm usually not there because I'm playing on that same Pusa, weekend, just yeah, like you're exactly, saying, you know what yeah. I mean? But it, it always looks like there's a bunch of people dancing on the street and having a good old time, and I like oh, that. Oh, it's a blast. <laughs> it's a, I'm totally free, and they raise money for the... Uh, it changes every year. Last year, we raised money for the St. Raymond's uh, after-school music program. Beautiful. Uh, below the tracks in NDG there. Beautiful. Yeah, so... And Paul Carniello, uh, since we did that... Mm -hmm has uh, crowdsourced uh, equipment to set up a jam studio oh, cool. permanently at the school. Right on. Way to so, go, Paul. So yeah, man. That's pretty cool. Uh, so a lot of good things have been happening down there recently. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I love about NDG? All kinds of great cheap eats. Oh, all yeah, the, for all, sure. You guys got all the good food. Oh, yeah. You know, once you pass the carry and you're not even past the carry, first you hit Tropical Paradise. And I, if I don't get my, my my chicken doubles and alu pie when I'm out that way, I'm not having a good trip out to the West End, okay? <laughs> That's my yeah, favorite yeah. food in all Montreal. 
Yeah, I, I just blew it for any other sponsors in town. <laughs> Tropical Paradise has you beat. <laughs> Where is Tropical Paradise? I'm they moved to Carry. Yeah, they're on to Carry. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's the shittiest building ever, but just go for the food. The food is incredible. And if you want to know what to get, I'll tell you what to get. Get two chicken doubles, extra tamarind sauce, and aloo pie, and you're going to be a happy person. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've never been. And it's cheap as hell. Have you been to... Uh... Uh, Caribbean Food Factory. No, talk to me. Caribbean Food Factory opened like two or three years ago. It's on uh, DeCary, just at De Maisonneuve. Mm-hmm. It's in a commercial building, and it's on the first floor, and you really wouldn't notice it's a restaurant unless you knew what you were looking for. And it's amazing Caribbean-Jamaican food. Mm. Um, and it's big. It holds like almost 200 people wow. and they have a stage and you know Fitz the sound man yeah. it's Fitz's sound system in there oh cool and usually I don't know if they're still doing it but for a long time on Friday nights they had bands and like wow. uh, Byron and the Uprising guys will play mm-hmm. there Jack Cutta plays there Melo G plays there uh, Robin sings there. Uh, I'll have to swing by and just yeah, say, hey. It's really good. Yeah, I like good vibes, man. 5311, Demason of West, Caribbean Food Factory. Check it out. Now, what other... Okay, you, you're you Mr. NDG right now. If I, if you want some cheap-ass soul food in NDG, where do, where do you go? Uh, soul food? Well, well, when I say soul food, it means underly like priced home, for the average person. And like it's home like, cooking? Like hell good yeah, home man. cooking? Uh, Tacos Tijuana is amazing. I've never been there. Uh, they're on Sherbrooke between Royal and Draper. Uh, really tiny place. Uh, just got a couple of tables, but you can get a burrito that weighs as much as the average firstborn child for like <laughs> 10 bucks, and it's fantastic. Because any time that I can eat at a family restaurant, like I mean, a restaurant run by a family, that's always where I go. Oh, if you like Lebanese food, and it's uh, bring your own wine also, uh, there's a place called Azar that's just, Next to Tacos Tijuana, mm. that's like uh, affordable but fine dining. Is it true the bagel place is closed? Yes, all mm-hmm. our bagel places are closed. Dad's bagels closed. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And Saint Vieter bagel closed. They always closed, have those samosas yeah. that I would get. You know, you pay a dollar fifty. Yeah, I live right across the street from there. Now it's uh. called Notre Buff de Grasse. It's a hamburger place. I mean, I like a burger as much as the next guy, but I it's really kind It's a $20 hamburger. <laughs> it's not soul food. <laughs> no, man. <laughs> Just qualify. No, absolutely. No, we what about Cosmos? So much. Cosmos is still there. It's still Because, like, happy. for breakfast, that's still probably my favorite. Oh, yeah. 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 For anybody that's not from NDG, I mean, any, everybody in NDG knows Cosmos. I will say the portions aren't quite as ridiculous as they used to be. Really? They're more sensible now. Yeah. I was really big on ridiculous. It's not like a mountain no, of no. food anymore. It's I would sensible always portions. order the mishmash and get a liter of orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> that was what I got every time, you know, my, my hangover breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I worked like, there for like six years. Yeah, I was aware yeah. of that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know it's tragic and we don't have to go through all that, but I, I, I remember seeing like pictures of you working in there and stuff. And uh, man, I still think it's one of the coolest restaurants in all of Montreal. It really is. You know, it's like, yeah. it's just, it's like something out of another time, you know? Yeah. It's, it's Respect to the whole cosmos, you know, and uh, just keep Nicky doing and it. Nick. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And they will describe every type of bread that they have on the spot to you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's one of the things I always think of about it, you know. <laughs> what, what about the Jamaican food out there? What, what do you got? Um, I really think uh, Caribbean uh, mm-hmm. Food Factory is like my top place. 
I'm going to have to go for sure then. But I also have a soft spot for Jean's Trinidadian restaurant, Mm. which is right across the street from Tacos Tijuana. (laughs) So if you go to where Tacos Tijuana is, there's like 10 good restaurants on that block. See, this is what I'm talking about, though. NDG got all the cheap mum run restaurants you know that are just amazing I love it out there for that there's a great restaurant called East Africa that does um, Ethiopian food oh really also on that block there's a great Japanese restaurant on that block I think we should go on a tour of the restaurants one day there's two (laughs) good Indian restaurants on that block Wow. There's a good Korean restaurant on that block. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I really like NDG. I've always had a soft spot for uh, for NDG. Yeah, I've been there since I was four years old. Oh, really? Huh? Yeah. The hood. Yeah. it's And I live two blocks from the house I grew up in. Well, a lot of musicians are living out there as well. Yeah, you can still find affordable places. Well, it's not bad. It. Mm-hmm. And the services are fantastic, you know? When you say services, you're talking about... Like just you have everything, Buses. like especially where I am, you know, mm. you just got everything you need within a very small radius. You yeah, know? there's good grocery stores. Like I live next to Esposito. It's you know, it's not like a big metro, or, yeah. But they have great prices and great food, and it's literally I can go there in my pajamas in the middle of a snowstorm and get my food. And when come are you going to run and be mayor of NDG? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did run my cat. I I tried to get my cat elected MP. Humbert. Yeah. See, I know his cat's name because this is a very famous cat. And in fact, the cat is on the record. <laughs> yeah, in 2015, we put up election posters around the neighborhood for Humbert, and it sparked like a media frenzy. And we were like on all the TV shows and all the radio shows yeah. for a couple of weeks. And he got 121 votes, even though he wasn't officially on the ballot. Yeah. But. Well, he didn't really get 121 votes, but what happened was there was this lady, uh, Lisa Kahn, who was running as an independent, Mm -hmm. and somebody on her staff or something told the Gazette that uh, she was running on behalf of my cat. Oh, really? (laughs) And they never fact-checked it, so when the Gazette (laughs) printed the election results... They put Humbert's name instead of hers. Wow. Yeah, so... I wonder if Humbert knows how popular... uh, I don't know. I think he's got a bit of an idea. Yeah. Like, he's... He gets a lot of attention. He likes it. Yeah. He's he's, he, he might be on a very famous Japanese TV show. I heard something about this. Yeah, the guy's what, coming... What, what, what's, uh, all, what's up with that? I got an email from a producer, mm-hmm. a, ja- a Japanese-Canadian producer in Vancouver okay. uh, last week, and he told me he'd seen Humbert on uh, the internet mm-hmm. and was... Uh, was scouting talent for a Japanese TV show called Cats Around the World, which has been on for many years and is really popular. I'm sure. And it's shot by a world-renowned wildlife photographer. (laughs) So he's coming by on Thursday to meet the cat and take pictures of him and decide whether or not he gets to be a TV star. So he actually has to audition to be like... (laughs) Yeah, the pressure's on. No no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Meet the cat, see if he works. (laughs) Shit. Man, that's wicked. And now you got the cat stuff going on. You got your place here. Osmosis. You've been busy for the last few years. You're always creeping up with some new project around the whole osmosis uh, concept. What, it, what, what is the concept for this? Like, well, what, what's going on with that? I, it's just started off as, you know, uh, like a way to, uh, you know, osmosis is when you like achieve balance on either side through like permeating a membrane you know so Mm -hmm. i was just trying to like absorb as many people without really trying as i could you know right right and just pick things up as i move through life so i just you know it 
it's it's almost an unconscious process where people I just meet people and I show them what I'm doing and I we find out if there's a part they want to play in it and mm -hmm. we just make fun, music right? together you know and yeah. so I kind of started off with ambitions of like doing what you're doing and like right, getting right. a solid band together and touring around and booking shows and it's I quickly realized <laughs> I can't do it. I just, yeah. you know, I, I take medication for bipolar disorder and mm -hmm. it makes me really tired all the time. Yeah. So I, I just don't have the stamina to go out on the road and, and play late night concerts, get home at three in the morning. I'm, yeah. I'm just not it, it, It's it. definitely a recipe to, you know, if, if you're at all fragile to any sort of unbalancing. And I'm, I'm not even talking like, like you're talking about bipolar, but I mean, other people that just need like the reassurance of a routine it's definitely not the route for that you know what I mean no I'm sure so now I just see it more as like a recording project yeah. and just kind of trying to archive all these songs and mm -hmm. so basically you invite people over to jam you, you work out a tune type thing and then uh, decide to record it yeah exactly it's amazing yeah that's amazing yeah. that's what music is man yeah so I'm, I'm really all about the recording now yeah you know and I'm not a, like a production snob I still I still have a lot to learn about recording mm -hmm. engineering and stuff like that but I seem to be able to like get something that I'm happy with. Well, I've heard stuff that I like. Oh, thank you, yeah. thank you very much. I just want to get it out there and mm -hmm. and have it as a historical document. You know, well, what that's I'm it. It's part of your life, right? It's part of who you are. As far as I'm concerned, you can always go back and work on a song more and more. Yeah. Like I work with a lot of people who never release anything until it's ready. You know, <laughs> yeah, I ain't it got seems time like for that, man. <laughs> it seems like the stuff is just never ready. It's well, like, that's it. Yeah. It's like where does it end? Yeah, so yeah. I just I just throw it out there as soon as it's good enough. Yeah, you yeah. Know? and then I'll worry about improving it later. I can always well, uh, release it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm a big fan of that. <coughs> I mean, especially if you're somebody that you know is a very creative person, which you are. I'm sorry to break the bad news to you, but you're extremely creative. <laughs> it's a curse. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, somebody that's creative, it's like a, you know that energy. It always has to go somewhere. So I understand, like, okay, I'm working on this, but I'm I'm starting to think of the next thing already. Okay, okay, uh, this is done. Put it aside. I'm moving on. Yeah. You know, but people that think that way with, you know, some people will say, oh, I'd never over, you know, produce something all the way to the end or whatever. But fuck that. You know what? These are the people that are really telling their stories. These are the people that are getting together to play music with all their friends and just are artists. Yeah. You know, getting it out. Move on. Okay. A new idea. I love people like that. And I love you. Oh, thank yeah, you, man. man. I love you too. Uh, absolutely. I saw the uh, video that you made. Some uh, all's good in NDG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what's all good. all good in NDG? I love it, man. <laughs> now, you're going around in a convertible, riding around town and stuff. That looked like a blast. Oh, it was so much fun. Yeah, yeah. That was with Melo G, uh, uh -huh. and uh, that was Tony, our bass player's, uh, or should I say, Wally Thornhill's uh, convertible. <laughs> Um, you can edit out his name, right? <laughs> no, man. You know, I, I, I'm telling all the guests right now because I had to edit one video, which I really hate doing because I'm like you. I don't like to look, go and work back. Or, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? But now the only editing that happens in this room is between the head and the mouth, and that's it, man. <laughs> oh, well, Tony, your secret's out. Sorry, bro. <laughs> I ain't responsible for shit. <laughs> yeah, my old high school buddy did that for us. It was his first video, too, so we had a lot of fun. Like We, were, yeah. we didn't really know what we were doing, and we were just flying by the seat of our Pants yeah. and it's pretty fun and it's got a lot of views, so that's well, pretty cool. Dude, it just I, I watched it, I smiled, I laughed, and that's <laughs> what I expect. You know what I mean? Like it made me feel good. <laughs> I don't need any more than that. You know, it's I actually got uh, slagged in an online review for like talking too much about NDG. Well, tell them if I can suck like, your balls. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, <laughs> you got that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people always want to hate. People always want to, you know, like how many reviewers like. 
we want to balance out our review with something good and something bad, you know, or have these types of mindsets. It's just like, shut up. <laughs> I write so much about NDG. NDG yeah, yeah. is a huge source of artistic inspiration. Do reviewers get yeah. chicks? <laughs> I think hmm. this reviewer was a chick. I'm not sure. That happens a lot too, and that's all cool. Are they getting the dudes? They probably are too. <laughs> they probably do. They yeah. probably are. Shit. They're getting the bass players at least. Yeah, <laughs> well, stepping up from the roadie, right? <laughs> or the merch dude. <laughs> Mind you, they got more time to work their shit, you know? <laughs> mm. Bipolar, medication. Medication. Yeah, how, I take, how, uh, what's, the, what's the effects? What are you taking? I take lithium, mm -hmm. uh, which is a godsend. Yeah. Um, I used to, they started me off when I first got diagnosed. I was on Epival, mm -hmm. which is like the second rate lithium. Okay. But uh, because it's less uh, toxic right. to the kidneys, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, to the mm -hmm. kidneys, that makes sense. they usually go with that first and okay. try that out. So they tried that out on me for like years. Mm -hmm. I would say. Probably like 10 years I was on Epival. Right. And uh, I kept having episodes. Mm -hmm. Didn't stop the manic episodes from coming. I was in the hospital like once or twice a year for 10 years. Yeah. It's crazy. I must have spent over a year and a half of my life in the hospital. You're a very popular person in the hospital, though, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went to visit Wednesday. They're like, oh, John. And they're calling down the hall and stuff. Like, everybody loved you there. <laughs> But uh, they finally switched me to lithium, and like I've been mostly stable yeah. since taking that. And then I take an antipsychotic called Risperdal. Yeah, and that's the one that really like okay, that that, that was, sucks that was, the energy yeah, out of you. That's you know? the drainer, right? Eh? And it's a tiny little pill. It's like yeah. nothing. I take two milligrams. Mm -hmm. Like I take nine hundred milligrams of lithium. Yeah, and you know I'm sure it slows me down a bit, but. Mm -hmm. See, I, I have a few friends that have bi bipolar disorders or whatever the inward is of the day because everything keeps evolving and changing. And it's probably not even a bad thing and we have to evolve. But uh, everybody always says, a bit, you know, the same type of things like, you know, the draining of the energy is the hard part. But yet off it, it gets really bad. Yeah, so, and, and, and actually, like I had one person that <coughs> thanks doctors and wrote a letter to the company that made a medication saying how it saved her life and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And it, it was really heart, heartfelt. But it's still not like the 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 be all end all of the that's cure. It. You yeah, know, that's because where I was getting. There's yeah. so many other things that come into play, like psychological factors and environment and stuff mm -hmm. like that, and triggers. And one thing I learned this year, I had my first episode this past uh, summer okay. for the first time in six years. Mm -hmm. I had my first manic episode, and you know what the trigger was? What? I wasn't poor for the first time ever. <laughs> got excited. I got money. <laughs> and it, and it triggered, yeah. The security of having a few thousand dollars in the bank triggered mania. Mm -hmm. it, so, of course, I blew all the money of and course. then got kicked off welfare because I had all the money. At least you had an and, excuse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got no excuses. <laughs> but, um, yeah, what, what I'm getting at is, is like, the, the whole medication thing, like, like you say, it's not, you know, the be-all, end-all. And it's... Uh, like because I, I have a lot of friends that ha you know I, I don't even know how to word things properly or whatever I could say suffer from this syndrome or not other people say that they're fine with it and it's part of the, who they are as well and everybody kind of reacts to it differently my biggest question is this and maybe you can enlighten me um, the one thing that I've like especially if I'm working with somebody that is ha in, like having an episode like the, in a manic phase or whatever are you, how aware are you that you are in the phase or not that's that's what a lot of people like as far as a worker goes that's the hardest part for me well i think it 
it depends on the person, right? Yeah. It depends how long they've lived with the disease and how much insight they've been able to like gather on their own moods and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but normally, um, when you're manic, your self-awareness goes flying out the window. Yeah. And to you, there's a perfectly good reason for everything you're saying or doing, and it all makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's really hard to convince someone who's having a manic episode that they're actually having one. Yeah. Um, but for me, I've gotten to the point where I am a little more insightful. Mm-hmm. And when I'm normal and I like, like for example, I got a roommate uh, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend moved in with me. And uh, we hadn't met before, uh, before he moved in. And so I told him at the beginning, I said, look, I'm bipolar, blah, blah, blah. I said, if you ever think there's any chance that I'm having a manic episode, if I'm behaving strangely, if I'm doing weird things, if I'm freaking you out, mm-hmm. just call 911. Yeah. Just call 911, tell them your bipolar roommate is having a manic episode, and tell them to send an ambulance and the cops. That's and, a great way to say it. And one th- cool thing that they changed in the system, I'll just talk for Montreal, is I know now uh, that... Uh, Let's say you call 911 on a friend because you're worried and you love them. And, uh, you know, you're always worried about repercussions. Usually the person is happy you made the call after the fact, maybe not on the spot. And the other thing is that um, when they come to you, your name is already, like, because now the information is shared, right, from from CS to, to hospital and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So they're not coming in here like the cavalry to do harm. They know that you're not doing well. And come in, I've seen some crews work and bring people to the hospital so incredibly well. I'm not saying it's perfect, but compared to 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it, it's something uh, that's a whole other part of my life is that I, I work with people uh, that suffer from all kinds of different situations. And that, uh, thank you so much for answering that question because I, that's where as a worker, I have a really hard time sometimes because uh, sometimes person is such a manic phase that either don't want to talk to you, don't want to listen may become agitated yeah for and, sure and uh, they don't realize that they're having an episode so it's really hard to convince them to get help uh, you know no usually like, like when the cops and the ambulance shows up it'll it can it'll go one of two ways it'll either snap them into realizing like oh this is serious right i better maybe uh take a look at myself mm-hmm. or they'll totally react in the worst possible way. Yeah. So it is a chance you take. Absolutely. But I think it's the it's the only move. Like mm-hmm. if someone's having a manic episode, you know, you really they need to be hospitalized. They need to have their medication adjusted. Mm-hmm. There's very few people who come out of it on their own. You yeah. Know? Man, you're such a great spokesperson for this. Uh, like, I, I, like even if you don't want to be, because you are quite a public figure. You are very intelligent, and you have experience with it. You know? Yeah, I try and reach out a lot. Uh, like, if if I were to count off like uh, all the people I spend most of my leisure time with, mm-hmm. they all have mental health issues, yeah. and I've and they're all people I've reached out to because I feel like one of the most important aspects of recovery is having peer counselors right. and being able to talk to people who have been through what you've been through but have been going through it for longer mm-hmm. and have a bit more experience dealing with it and may know some tricks that you could benefit from and stuff like that. Absolutely. So I like actively seek out people that are like in crisis and having issues mm-hmm. and stuff like that because, because uh, 
I want to turn my negative experiences into positive experiences yeah. for someone, you know, and for myself too. Absolutely. I think one of the best ways, if you have anxiety or depression, the best thing you can do is find someone who's worse off than you and help them mm -hmm. and you'll lift your both up. For you know? sure, for sure. Yeah. And one thing that I'm really happy, like in the whole field of mental awareness, I want to say, or mental health, is that there are some changes. Like when it comes to mental health, I'd say even within the last five years, there's major changes. I find all of a sudden it's like everybody is free and it's very becoming very normalized to talk about how is my mental health doing today? You know, how, how are you doing? Oh, it's, it's, it's all part of yeah, your general health. It's changed so much exactly. just recently. Because remember you know? back in the yeah. day, it was always like mental health, physical health. You know, you'd even have to see different people and stuff for everything. I understand people specialize in stuff like that. But now even general practitioners, like, how's your health? And they're talking about your mental health, your physical health, everything, you know? Yeah. I like that. It, it, it makes it also easier now because it's more out in the open for somebody like me that's working with people that are suffering because it's easier to bring as a subject before it used to be so taboo. So you know? stigmatized before. Yeah, absolutely. There's still a lot of stigma, yeah. but, uh, but the amount of... Uh, change of consciousness that's gone on like you said just recently mm -hmm. is really remarkable you know oh yeah there's so many new programs there's something called access that's amazing it's helping people you know get, get to the treatment that they they need that they because it's not easy as well like you know especially everything like parents that okay their youth now is like early 20s or late late teens and these new developments are happening they don't know where to go to for help and stuff like that too you know yeah and I, i'm happy that it's getting easier it's still not easy i mean you're no. making your way through this system what a fucking nightmare oh yeah Jeez, really, even in yeah. the better days that i'm saying it is now it's still a fucking nightmare yeah you know yeah. it really is in game bounced around from people who are try seeing a uh, a psychiatrist getting uh, you know you you call when you're not doing well and they're telling you about a three-month wait and stuff like that it's like you're not doing well and that's why you're calling today you know right yeah, yeah no you really um i think uh it's the people in the uh, it's the people in the inpatient wards that are doing the real like mm -hmm. boots on the ground work you Absolutely, know yeah. but uh but it's it seems like that's really the only option because I mean, I know, like you said, if I want to see my psychiatrist, I have to book an appointment with her two months in advance. Yeah, you know? and, and nobody thinks of booking one when they're doing well. Exactly, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> that, that, you see the little hole in the system there? <laughs> I just want to point it out to you. <laughs> no, pretty much the ER is your only uh, yeah. your only resource yeah. a lot of the time, you know? Uh, so. Absolutely, you know, and uh, but I, I do want, like, I, I want to move on to another subject, but I do want to say that time that I went to visit you there, I just couldn't believe I was saying it again. They're like, yeah, John's down there, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a piano in the room and stuff there and you know you're putting on smiles on i remember you helping an older lady and stuff it's like man you just bring joy no matter where what context you're in sometimes what, i miss the hospital oh yeah yeah <laughs> well if you if you're in any place and you make you do make relationships with yeah. the place and the people in the place right yeah yeah I, I totally get that except for one couple i know though uh hospital romances never last <laughs> i learned that dude i was working with this guy okay he's in, in his 20s i won't name any names um but uh he calls me up and goes man i just had sex and he's in, in the psych ward because but man that girl's crazy i'm like dude where are you right now <laughs> and then he's oh shit <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny. It was super cute, you know? <laughs> hey, everybody needs love, man, at the end of the day, right? I've had some great psych ward romances. There yeah, you go. For sure. Yeah, man. And I mean, if passion's what you're looking, that's a good place to find passion. <laughs> yeah. But my, uh, I have two friends who are both bipolar, 
and they met at the Douglas Hospital, uh-huh. and uh, they got married, I think, uh, three years ago, mm-hmm. and they've been together like six years. Oh, so, wow. so they're the exception that proves the rule. And they're yeah. probably supporting each other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, okay, you can't get a more honest friendship than that right yeah. off the, the start. I'm in a choir, actually, with the husband. Oh, really? Yeah, we're in a choir that's part of the, uh, it's called the Musee Art Choir, mm-hmm. and it's uh, at the General Hospital, and it's for psych patients from the general. Okay. And the choir's been around for like 23 years. Yeah. It's a really good music therapy program. Yeah, it's great. Marijuana, mental health, talk to me. Oh, well, it's pretty good for me. Uh, I tend to like... Uh, to try and get over the lethargy and fatigue I feel from the medication, I tend to like smoke sativa dominant hybrids. Okay. And I recently started uh, baking with them and making edibles. I make these little oatmeal coffee uh, cookies mm. and stuff. Co- coffee cookies? Yeah, I just put oh some boy. instant coffee in with the oatmeal. <laughs> and um, and uh, yeah, it's. I think it's it's great for me. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's good. Uh, I um, I found it's not a trigger for you. It, if I'm having a manic episode, it can be. Yeah. So uh, when I'm, I find when I'm stable and like my baseline is a little like subnormal energy mm-hmm. level, I'm really just, my normal is like kind of everyone else is exhausted. <laughs> right. So, uh, so I find the smoking helps me like at least perk up my brain and give me a little mm-hmm. fidgety energy to like do things with my hands and stuff. And, uh, but if I'm stressed out, I, uh, I'll switch to an indica to kind of like yeah. slow my brain down. And Isn't it wild how like uh, the education around marijuana and like with the SQDCs now that are open and, you know, there's much more importance made on what type you're smoking and because the effects are so radically different. You know, yeah, stuff for like sure. That. I, I find that super interesting. The reason I was asking about, uh, you know, uh, bipolar and uh, marijuana is I know that for some use that it's problematic for some and others say that it helps them so i don't i haven't formed a true opinion except for i do trust what people tell me you know a lot a lot of workers think they know best but yeah but it's the same with any medication you know like any medication will affect different people differently so you just have to what like i get i used to like like to get a different strain every time and try yeah. this and try that. I stopped doing that. Okay. I found a strain that works for me for what I need it for 90% of the time, mm-hmm. and I just get that strain. It's called Sage. Okay. And it's a 70% uh, sativa, and uh, the so guy this, gets this it from... this is your daytime, I'm going to play a little music. Yeah, there. exactly. All right, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man. Um, I don't usually smoke it late at night because mm-hmm. it'll keep me up if I'm trying to sleep. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I get it from the same guy. The guy grows just this strain. So he, every time he grows it, he gets a little better at it and he uses yeah. fewer chemicals. He means the SQDC, and- by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, they got it. I'm on this whole trip. I, 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 I want to do some good this year. And I think I, I got I to talk to the people running the SQDC. You know what the problem is for sponsorship? No. Oh, well, yeah, spo- yeah, sponsor me. That'd be cool too. He's brilliant. Listen to him. Um, these containers. Yeah, it's ridiculous, eh? Any regular smoker is going through one of these. Some people a week, one every two weeks, depending on who you are. Sometimes more or less. Okay. How fast? It, let's say one a week. You have fifty-two of these a year. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. And I've realized... I know someone in Halifax is recycling them and turning them into prosthetic limbs. 
Really? Yeah, they're recycling the SQ, the, the pot shop Are packaging. you going to tell them to listen to this podcast and send a comment to say where to? Yeah, I'll try and find them. Yeah, I try will to try find and that, find that, that That's company. really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Because what I've learned that any company that does business, now, of course, with the whole marijuana being legal now, they have to really be careful. I understand like part of their things is that they really have to ensure that they're, they're locking uh, caps, right? So that kids can't get it. I, yeah. I, I totally get that. Okay, I totally, totally, totally understand that. But I also know that to do any change, it has to be profitable for the company as well. So I've come up with a plan. This is my plan. And it, I, it's so basic, I don't understand why. Because this cannot continue. If all the pot smokers of Quebec go through, let's say even 20 of these a year, which is low-balling like crazy. Anybody that's smoking is smoking more than that, okay? Um, it, it, we could build houses out of this shit. All right? There's way too many of them. So what it, it seems to me it must happen is this. The SQDC has to sell a container that locks. Mm -hmm. because that's how they will compensate for their, their money. And if it's profitable, they might consider actually doing it. Right. So you go to the SQDC, you buy your container. Now you're allowed to buy weed. And, you, and obviously a reusable glass container would be good or other material, something you know good for the world. Because I'll tell you, pot smokers in general are people that tend to care about the world. All right. So you'd go to the SQDC with your, you bought a container. You might want to buy two if you're into getting two different strands or three if you want three different strands, whatever it is. And then they have large barrels there that are sealed to keep it fresh in earth. And they put it, you know, every time you buy it into your container that you bought from them, you bring it home and it's reusable. Doesn't right. that make sense? Sure. Right? Guys, you really have to do it. This is a mission. I'm, everybody should contact the SQDC and make this happen because these things, this has to stop. It's way too much plastic. Uh, it, it's incredible. Like I said, an average smoker and people that go to the SQDC. Ziploc bags. Yeah, man. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like some people go get three or four of these at a time and go once a week or once every two weeks. That's they should so at least much. Have it's a, insane. They should at least have a return program. Like you should be able to return them. Right. Exactly. But I like the idea of sell a cool glass container or something, you know, and bring it. That way they're making a bit of profit because no change ever happened if the company loses money or doesn't make a gain from it. Yeah. So that's a way for them to make their you, you gain. You got to figure it's got to be like, uh, it's got to be Legault's nephew or something who has the contract for supplying the plastic bottles to the right? SQDC. So somebody, or, somebody, whoever fucking got that contract. Someone's nephew is getting rich off exactly. it. Exactly. So not going to change. Either. Yeah, but th this one has to, or it, it, it won't last because I know that a Maybe lot they could turn them into orange cones. <laughs> Montreal style, man, of course. And then you put the cone upside down, you put your beer in it, plug the hole. Yeah, but I got plans <laughs> for these. Absolutely. Hey, pass me that. There, there was a second flask somewhere, but I think it's uh, upstairs right now. Here, this one's good. This was a present for my buddy. Yeah. And the uh, whiskey in this was given to the show from by Sean. Sean Ryan. Cheers. On Thanks, tour right Sean. now in Europe with Finney and all the other Mahones. They're on a huge tour. Not just Europe either. Check them out. Check out the Mahones. They're all over this planet. Cheers, guys. Mm. Mm. John, what do you have going on? What's coming up for you? Um, I've been working on albums for two of my Osmosis band members. Uh-huh. Uh, I wrote some songs and played some saxophone for my guitarist Jeff Lauber's album, uh, which is called Tell, and that's probably coming out in April. It's really good. I'm really proud of the work uh, he's done on it. It's just amazing. And I'm also producing a new record for Lisa Mackey, mm -hmm. our singer. Absolutely. Um, hey, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. 
So uh, we've got like uh, we've got like about it's, I don't know if they'll all go on the record, but we've got six songs now. You're you're off to a healthy start. So we we we've made a pretty big dent in it. But yeah, I man. don't know if all the songs are going to make it on the record, but mm-hmm. uh, if anyone wants, just uh, message me on Facebook and I can uh, I can hook you up with a private demo listening session. John Jordan. Christy. Love you, brother. Love you, man. Man, it's great to see you. You too. Yeah. Peace out, everybody. Bye Stay from cool. Django. That's right. John Django, the love story. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> nice. What a sit down. Ah, so good to see John again. It's been too long. And uh, I think I'm going to have him back this summer, too. Maybe we'll do a, a poolside one, you know? And uh, just what an all around good hearted human being. You know, it takes uh, people like that. You know, a creative soul that is just wants to do well in this world, man. I'm all about it. Uh, once again, thanks to our sponsors. Uh, go check out theinprint.com. And uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Peace out, everybody. Stay cool. Don't forget to subscribe. Oh, came in, no, no shit. <laughs>